Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Second hour of Beeson's Betting Across America comes to you from the South Point in Las Vegas and Denver, Colorado, as we get you caught up on the big news of Sunday afternoon. There is a lot of it to get you in on in the NFL, in the NBA, and we'll get you ready for the National Hockey League with two games tonight as well. James Salinas is in Denver, Colorado. Adam Candy here at the South Point in Las Vegas. Uh, just talked to you about the fact that Julio Jones has been traded now officially from the Atlanta Falcons to the Tennessee Titans. We'll have more on that uh, as we come up. This game between the 76ers and the Hawks has obviously been quite notable for the fact that the Hawks are blowing them out, even with Joel Embiid in the lineup and no DeAndre Hunter for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the score 60-40, to 40. Atlanta with the lead now under four minutes remaining in period number two. Looks like we're still seeing the Hawks laying 12 as of the moment here as Trey Young has an answer there for Atlanta, 227 is the total uh, expecting full health coming up for the Mavericks and Clippers. Haven't heard anything about Luka Doncic or anyone else uh, with significant injury concerns for Dallas and Los Angeles elsewhere in the NBA, James, uh, an interesting piece of news in sort of the tug of war between the Blazers and Damian Lillard, uh, Terry Stotts, has been let go after that first-round exit, losing to the Nuggets in six games. And Dame Lillard, who signed a long-term contract in Portland, seems to be one of those guys who was very happy to be rooted with one franchise and try to win uh, in one of the smaller markets in the NBA. And now, we'll just say he's flexing his muscle a little bit. I uh, wanted Jim, uh, Jason Kidd to be the coach of the Blazers. And Jason Kidd as of this morning, has removed his name from consideration for that job. Uh, how would you approach how you are looking at the offseason? Once we get there, assuming nothing happens in terms of this coaching search before the end of the NBA Finals, assuming we get to the point where we're talking about NBA futures for next year, uh, how would you look at the Blazers? How would you look at any potential team that could be acquiring Damian Lillard? I know I'm asking you to kind of look into the crystal ball here a bit. Just wonder, I mean, a star player, a superstar player, as far as on the offensive end of what he brings, and we saw that throughout. We saw that throughout the series against Denver, and 
outside of that last game, game six at home, really was worn out in my mind from that double overtime loss in game five. But I think for we're starting to see this, Adam, with for a number of players across a number of the, the landscape of sports where it comes to, hey, I've got leverage, I've got a voice, and so I'm going to be more impactful, not just I put give me the ball, I go out and play, but hey, I'm going to have a voice and, and some say as far as what I would like to see the direction of the team go. We see that in, in the NFL with some of these quarterbacks that are getting out there and being pretty vocal. Most, we've been seeing it with the NBA, especially with the shuffling of players to connect with each other and, and build these super teams, in a sense, for so many of these, uh, for a number of teams in the NBA. Maybe that's where Damon Lillard is right now, feeling like, what else can I do here with this team? I've been carrying and shouldering the load, scoring load for sure, for such a long time, but we just can't, outside of a couple years ago, when they did make it to the Western Conference Finals. Aside from that, I think he knows that the ceiling for the Portland Trailblazers, it's not going to get any higher. It is what it is now. We think we've seen it as far as the roster moves are concerned. My thinking is, well, if you're going to trade him, what does that look like out in the market? Draft picks are not nearly, this is not like draft picks when we're talking about the NFL and how coveted first round picks are. Outside of a couple of the top picks within the NBA draft, they're really not very coveted. So I don't know, Adam. I don't know where you would, where, where the market would start for a, a player like Damian Lillard. I'm not sure what that might be and or who would actually want to get involved and bring a certain player like Lillard into that into their team unless you're looking to pack, package some other stars in through free agency to build around. I have big news. This has nothing to do with any actual news, but Trey Young just hit his third three-pointer of the first half and my plus uh, 150 over two-and-a-half three-pointers Trey Young bet has cashed for the day. So at least we start out with something good, having no idea how the rest of this day will ultimately play out as the Sixers have... Well, we'll just say they've been a little bit more competitive than they were in the first quarter, which isn't saying much. 65-47 Atlanta with the lead. This is VEASAN's Betting Across America, live from the South Point in Las Vegas. I'm Adam Candy, joined by James Salinas in Denver, Colorado. And not only do we have a potential live betting opportunity in the NBA, but you have the Mavericks and the Clippers coming up in just about 90 minutes. And to chat it all over, we bring in our senior NBA analyst, Jonathan Von Tobel, to talk it all over. John, how you doing on this uh, Sunday morning as you watch this Hawks team that you had in the first round put it on the Philadelphia 76ers here in game one? Uh, I mean, I'm not really involved in this series at all. The NBA thing uh, got me off of it, so I am neither happy nor sad. I am amazed. Uh, that Doc Rivers is still handling this because, you know, Monday in February rolling out like all bench units and not really understanding that uh, his team is getting its ass kicked. It probably needs a little bit more. But uh, you are seeing a little bit of the flaws of Philadelphia offensively, right? You know, dependent on the mid-range, dependent on one low-post scorer, no really dynamic pick-and-roll options uh, offensively in terms of guys who can really attack off the bounce and suck in defenses. So, uh, you know, we do this all the time, right? It's game one of a series. I wouldn't be surprised to see Philadelphia still win this in like six games. Uh, but it's not a good start, as you've noted, and they gotta they got to figure some things out. 
So Jonathan, looking at this game, what you've seen from this first half, as far as the Hawks are concerned, I've been really impressed with how well they're spacing the floor against the 76ers. And they are they look really fluid right now and really cohesive offensively where we're seeing a lot of drive and kick. We're seeing a lot of three-pointers going up for the Hawks. They're making a lot of three-pointers right now, too. They're 12 out of 22 from the floor shooting beyond the arc. I'm just wondering from a sustainability standpoint, that's one piece. Yeah, there'll probably be some regression. You're not going to shoot 55% come second half. But seeing how they've spaced the floor and really the quickness that we've seen with not only Trey Young, but really Atlanta uh, beating folks off the bounce and knowing exactly where their teammates are spotted up on the on the perimeter. I've been very impressed with their spacing out there. What have you seen offensively from out of the Hawks right now that sit at 71 points through the first half? Yeah, you know, I think what we're kind of seeing here, James, is like it's funny when you look at Philadelphia as a whole, right? Uh, it, the thought is really good defense, and they are. Like you know, they, the top ten defense in terms of efficiency, they were very good in their first round series. But every defense has its flaws, and if you look at the flaws around Philadelphia, and it's something I wrote about in the series preview, it was it was twofold, right? It was one the one area of the perimeter that they kind of struggled to defend were above-the-break three-point shots or non-corner shots. They were 17th in frequency of attempts allowed on non-corner three-pointers. They were 19th in opponent shooting on, non, uh, on non-corner three-pointers, right? And what is Trey Young and the Hawks doing today? Well, they're shooting 50% on non-corner three-point shots. They've already got 14 up above the break. So, like, they're exploiting an area right now that the Philadelphia 76ers have kind of struggled to defend this year. And part of the reason why they have struggled to defend that area of the floor is they actually give up quite a bit of attempts within four feet of the basket. They just don't allow a high percentage in terms of shooting, right? If you look at accuracy defensively, they're 10th in terms of rim, uh, rim shooting, but they give up 17th in terms of frequency of opponent attempts within four feet. So opponents get there, they just don't shoot a good percentage. So the Hawks seem to be putting that all together, right? They're attacking off of pick and rolls. They're getting into the painted area, but they're kicking it back out to open shooters above the break, and they're hitting those shots. So I think that's kind of like if you're worried, like if you're Philadelphia, you're kind of worried that the two cracks in your armor, which is very strong, are the two things that Atlanta is really exploiting right now. And that's kind of the worry in the big picture. Coming up in a little less than 90 minutes, game seven between the Mavericks and the Clippers, already the first NBA series in the history of the league in which the first six games have all been won by the road team. And we're starting to see a little bit of a move on the line. It was sitting six and a half for quite a while here at the South Point. Now down to six. Total has moved all the way down from 215 to 210 and a half. How are you feeling about the Mavs and the Clippers? Uh, so, look, I was – I was relatively confident that they were going to push this to a game seven, Adam. And actually before game six, I bet the Clippers at 11 to one to win the entire thing. You know, I still like given all of the struggles that this team has, right. You know, the Mavericks are playing very good. And Rick Carlisle has out coached to have, you know, Ty Lue in multiple different spots uh, throughout this series. Right. You give Ty Lue credit though. He's made his own adjustments that have forced Carlisle to make his own, right. He goes small at the end of game three and start of game four and forces Carlisle in game five to go big and play zone. He stopped playing Ty Lue Zubach now. So that's the adjustment. So what happens here uh, going forward? Now the Zubach, you know, you know, with over five minutes in the last game, you'd expect that's going to be a similar outset in terms of his workload today. So, you know, what Carlisle does to uh, adjust off of that is going to be fascinating. But here's the other thing too, is we have watched this historic series in terms of, you know, what you just mentioned, what Doncic has done. 
you know, the, the Clippers have not shot the ball well. Remember, this is a team that finished first in overall three-point shooting this year. They're shooting 36% from three on the series. You'd expect at some point, I think even Ty Lue mentioned in his pregame media today, like, yeah, you know, I expect us to kind of shoot like we're capable of. And if that starts to regress to the mean, you know, this is a Clippers team that has been pretty even-keeled in terms of their offensive rating. Like, I, I still have some confidence that the Clippers are going to pull this out and win this series. Now, as far as covering a big number like that, I'm relatively surprised that the market hasn't really moved off of the power rating that we've seen. Like, clearly there's a matchup here that works in favor of Dallas that the Mavericks shouldn't be catching about seven points on the road against this Clippers team. But if we're talking about just straight up winning this thing and pulling this out, I do have the confidence that the Clippers are going to be able to do this today. JVT, and I think looking at this game, probably the biggest fans of this whole series has got to be the Utah Jazz being able to sit and rest. We know Mike Conley, yeah. his his hamstring flared back up on him again, so lots, you know, furthermore rest for him to be able to watch these, these two teams go at it. And I think what I've taken away from this series, and, and we see this in the NBA, where it comes down to star power, all-star power, and even superstar power that really take over comes second half. We saw that in game six with Kawhi Leonard. And we've seen it with Donkic early in each game for the most part, first quarter, first half. But I feel like he starts to get, he starts to, he, he starts to defer. He definitely deferred to his teammates in the fourth quarter in game six. And I think a lot of that comes through fatigue. And that's where I'm looking at maybe potentially getting involved with this game because I think about the, the bench production for both of these teams. It's been very minimal when it comes to scoring. Clippers really not getting much of anything off the bench when it comes to scoring. And so no, both George and Leonard have played extensive minutes within this series. I'm thinking more so, what do you think about the total JVT where it stands now for the game? And I'm looking at maybe potentially getting involved with a second half number. We'll see where the number stands. But just based on the fatigue factor of such a grind through six games and now everything on the line for game seven. I think from a total standpoint, right, the market's really adjusted on this. You know, we were talking about totals like 217 and a half, 218 and a half, 215 even on this series. And now we're talking about as low as 210 and a half, 211. So, you know, if you're looking at this from a perspective, you know, the, the market has definitely made the adjustment. You know, this is the slowest paced series that we have seen in the first round, about bar none. Uh, we're talking about around 92 possessions per game. That's like a slog, right? We're talking about college hoops now all of a sudden in terms of that. Uh, but regardless, you know, so the adjustment's been made. So it's, it is somewhat hard to bet a game like this under, considering we've seen about a five to seven point adjustment on the total. But you know, in, to your point about deferring, I do think that Ty Lue, and namely the Clippers defenders and, and Kawhi Leonard deserve a lot of credit. And that was one of the things that you, at least, I guess you kind of be impressed with Ty Lue is okay. We're going to put Kawhi Leonard on you defensively. We're also going to double and get the ball hand like ball out of your hands. And I think that's kind of why I don't know if uh, Luka Doncic was you know passive and giving it up, or it was I've got two defenders in my grill every single time. I have to give this up. And the Clippers were very adamant. It seems that if we are going to get beaten here tonight, it is going to be with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney-Smith and Jalen Brunson and everybody else beating us, and not Luka Doncic. And that gamble paid off in a solid win for them. And I think you're going to see more of that here today. You're going to see a lot more Kawhi Leonard. You're going to see a lot more doubling on Luka Doncic getting the ball out of his hand. You know, it burned him in the first game or so because Tim Hardaway Jr. was shooting 70% from three, but we know that's not sustainable. And I think that now you're starting to see that adjustment maybe pay some dividends here for the Los Angeles Clippers. So, you know, look, I think this is probably going to be again, if we haven't seen anything otherwise, it would indicate it's going to be a little bit quicker other than game three and two in which the Clippers push the pace a little bit. But there seems to be some value on betting this over, mainly because we've seen the market make quite the adjustment here.
Beeson Senior NBA Analyst Jonathan Von Tobel joining us here on Betting Across America with me, Adam Candy, James Salinas from Denver, Colorado. Uh, from the Why Can't We Have Nice Things department, John, James Harden uh, goes out a minute into the game against the Bucks. The Nets still, with great three-point shooting, put it on Milwaukee, who had very, very bad three-point shooting. Sitting uh, Brooklyn 2-234 with uh, no further news on James Harden at this point. Yeah, and look, I think one of the things, this is pretty interesting, right, because I think initially the thought is like, hey, man, that three-point shooting difference, that's not going to be sustainable if you move forward. And, like, from a certain perspective, right, like Milwaukee is not going to shoot 17% from three again. But there is an argument to be made that the three-point shooting could be better for Brooklyn. Remember, this is a team that in non-garbage time finished finished second as a team in three-point shooting at about 40%, right, just above 40%. They shot 38% last night. So it's not like they were out of this world in terms of their three-point shooting. So that's something that you could potentially see keep up in terms of the pace and the efficiency from which they shot. And then you go forward and look at some other aspects of this game, Adam. Like, you know, I think Brooklyn from a transition standpoint could probably be a lot better. They only got out in transition plays uh, 15.7% of the time. Offensive rating in transition, 114.3. That's one of the best transition offenses in the league. And so mainly my point is, as you're looking at this, right, my whole big thing has been the S word, right, sustainability. As you move forward in these series, what happens in one game that is more sustainable and more likely to be sustainable over the course of a series? And while shooting 17% from three, like the Milwaukee Bucks did yesterday, is not sustainable and they will shoot better, 38% is not something I would look at and say, that's not going to happen again for the Brooklyn Nets. In fact, there's an argument that they could be better than that as you move forward, even with the loss of James Harden. So I was really impressed yesterday with that. The way that they played defensively, Blake Griffin had some incredible minutes as a small ball five, especially against Giannis. You know, you wonder if you're going to get that same outpour from him offensively, but still with diving on balls, showed some physicality down low in the post, fighting and fronting. I think you had to be relatively impressed with the way that the Brooklyn Nets handled their business yesterday, especially on the defensive end where there was actually some effort. So are the Bucks going to average a point per possession again in this series? Probably not. But are the Brooklyn Nets going to only put up an offensive rating 112.7 again? Probably not. There's other aspects of their game that can improve, too. So, I, look, I thought Brooklyn was going to win this in seven. I still think this is a relatively a relatively tight series going forward. I wouldn't be surprised to see this uh, follow a similar pattern, except for the home teams winning at that Clippers and Mavericks series, right? Two, you know, 2-0 lead, 2-2 going back to Brooklyn, and we'll see what happens. But I, I was thoroughly impressed with what Brooklyn put forward yesterday after they lost hard. JVT, I want to get your your projection on the Suns and the Nuggets series, two teams that went on the road and closed out their series 4-2. to two. And now a little bit of time to rest here, but thinking about the matchups, I'm not sure how much – what can we take away from these teams playing each other three times during the regular season, although we know Jamal Murray is not there for the Nuggets this case. Uh, but I, I remember the back-to-back games that were in Phoenix and, and Joker, and they were competitive games, and Joker – really uh, really was sensational in both of those games going up against Aiton and the other Suns from the Phoenix Suns defense. But I'm kind of stuck here with this with this matchup because I feel like with the, the Suns being a two-to-one favorite here for the series, and I think, yeah, eventually the, it's going to catch up to the Nuggets where there is no more Jamal Murray out there to make get big clutch shots in the fourth quarter. Give me your assessment on how you see the series playing out and in particular the matchups with, with Jokic and the Phoenix Suns on defense. So as far as Jokic is concerned, James, like I wouldn't be surprised to see him yet again have a really big series, right? You know, he demolished Portland 33 points, 10, 10 and a half rebounds, four and a half assists. 
53.4% shooting. Like, he was incredible in that series against the Trailblazers. He almost doesn't give enough credit for what he did uh, in that series. And you mentioned the regular season against Phoenix, 25.7, 13.7, 8.3, right? Points, rebounds, and assists on 50.8% shooting. You know, the problem is, like, well, I foresee, again, like a series in which – Denver, or excuse me, Jokic has a really big series, right? I, I'm not sure if Aiden really has much in terms of stopping him defensively. If you look at it, right, Phoenix 24th in opponent shooting percentage at the rim, 16th in opponent mid-range shooting. Jokic takes 51% of his attempts from mid-range, 94th percentile of his position in that area. You know, he's a whiz within four feet, shoots about 70%. DeAndre Aiden, when he's on the floor, mid-range shooting goes up by opponents. So like, you can kind of see an area in which Jokic has his series that he is absolutely incredible. But here's the thing. You were able to overcome your shorthanded backcourt against Portland because one of the things, while we're all, you know, the collective we is all in love with Portland, you forget that they were 29th in defensive efficiency this year and, like, historically bad, and it showed up in really big stretches in that series against Denver. So you have to deal with the same backcourt issues, right? If you're Denver, you still don't know when PJ, or excuse me, when uh, PJ Dozier or Will Barton are going to come back. Monte Morris was great, and Austin Rivers was fine, and Facundo Campazzo was okay. But those mismatches are still there, and now it's against a much better defensive team all the way around, right? You have a Mikhail Bridges out there. You have Chris Paul. You have Devin Booker who can really score against a backcourt like that on top of playing slow pace like Rock'em Sock'em defense against his team. And I think that's the worry here for Denver is, sure, Jokic can score a lot, but what about the other pieces? What about Austin Rivers? What about Monte Morris? Right? What about Facundo Campazzo? And I think that's where they start to lose the margins in a battle like this. So I, I bet Phoenix to win this thing in six. I think it's about like five to one or so, somewhere in that range. Uh, I think Phoenix ultimately, the mismatches they have in the backcourt, especially a guy like Booker who really they don't have Denver many answers for, I think that's ultimately going to be the difference here. So I can see Denver taking you know, two. That's why I bet it's in six. But I think ultimately this is a series uh, that is going to play out in Phoenix's favor. John, about a minute left here. You, as a Colts fan, I'm sure, have now officially conceded the division with Julio Jones going to the Titans. Uh, yeah, conceded it to the Colts, right? I mean, I look, <laughs> the, the Julio Jones thing is great, and Jones is a great player. Uh, but, you know, I was looking up some of the numbers, Adam. Uh, you know who were one of the top teams in terms of, like, single wide receiver sets? It was the Tennessee Titans. You know what team loves to run on first and second down and then has Ryan Tannehill try to throw themselves out of bad situations? It's the Tennessee Titans. Like, one of my favorite memes when I saw that this first popped up a couple of months ago that they were in the Julio Jones sweepstake, it was like, who's stopping this team? And the immediate response was, yes, probably Mike Rabel. Because he's, like, <laughs> from an offensive standpoint, they're extremely, extremely conservative. So, look, it's a really good pickup for him. You have two insanely good wide receivers now at this point. But I don't know what we have seen from the Titans over the last two years that makes you think that they're really going to, like, start spreading out and attacking people downfield with these two. So, I'm not too worried about it. At me, JVT, on Twitter for all of the trenchant analysis and, of course, memes, like you just said. Thanks for joining us, John. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. When we come back, we'll get you caught up on what's happening in the third quarter of the Hawks and Philadelphia, as well as updating the Mavs and Clippers numbers here on Beeson's Betting Across America.
basketball, hockey, and baseball games every week. It's time to get into BetMGM Sports Nevada premier sports betting app. BetMGM has all your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds, specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today. Stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. VEASAN's betting across America takes you through not only the live NBA game today between the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers, but gets you ready for the Mavericks and Clippers, as well as the NHL's Canadiens versus the Jets and the Golden Knights against the Avalanche. Thanks for spending part of your Sunday afternoon with us, us being Adam Candy, that's me here in Las Vegas, and James Salinas in Denver, Colorado. We start the third quarter with the Sixers putting a bucket in 74-56 is the lead for Atlanta. Atlanta uh, Sixers closed as four and a half point favorites with a total of 220. Live total 235 and a half. Hawks laying 10 and a half. James, uh, anything interesting in terms of second half numbers to you from this early game? I don't think so. I think we saw the early, the first quarter, quarter and a half in particular, maybe the first 14 minutes of the game, the turnovers was really what was rolling for the Hawks. It was 12-2 to two in favor of the Hawks, not turning the ball over, taking care of the basketball. Looks like another turnover out of Philadelphia again. But that kind of returned back. It was sitting at halftime. It kind of regressed back to 12-8 to eight as far as turnovers go, points in the paint. Now both teams have successive back-to-back turnovers. I think right now we've seen a different energy level on, from the Sixers, really being more aggressive getting to the basket. There's an another layup for the Sixers now cut it to 16 points but I think when now with trying to get involved at this point I think that's kind of where I'm at with the with the Hawks is now we know that DeAndre Hunter he was not there he was not there to start this game uh, how does that impact them for four quarters obviously didn't impact them very much when they're putting up 74 points in the first quarter you can just go out and outscore the Sixers but obviously I think there'll be some regression coming for Atlanta offensively now what does that matchup look like with DeAndre Hunter being out on the defensive end. I think Tobias Harris had 15 points in that first half. So I think that's probably more so what I'm going to look at is what are we going to see out of Tobias Harris offensively? He did have 15 points on six of nine shooting with the absence of Hunter today. And we'll see, hopefully going forward, DeAndre Hunter can get back into this series because I think he's going to be very impactful for this young Hawks team on the defensive side. Boy, just when it looked like the Sixers might be ready to make a little run, great defensive play by Simmons followed by a layup at the other end to get to 16. Now they're down 19 again, and the Hawks just seem to have an answer for everything. They are now 14 of 26 from three-point range on the day for 56%, perfect from the free-throw line as well. Uh, JVT talked about sustainability. This is obviously not something that's going to be sustainable for the Hawks in the long term, but it's enough to keep me away from uh, betting this thing in-game and taking any of the numbers that we've seen on the 76ers, who are currently catching 9.5 total up to 237 and a half. Uh, James, one game a series, actually, game three from the Canadiens and Jets that we haven't touched on in the NHL. Uh, Canadiens up two games to none. We saw the line movement actually toward the Jets. Canadiens down to minus 120 at home today. And I think you and I agree that there is one particular side that looks really good in this game. 
Montreal, that's where I'm going. I'm going with the Habs here. And it was sitting at 140 earlier. I do see some one. It was at 130. I see some 135s. I think I'll wait and just see if we'll get some more money coming in on the Jets. I don't know if it's the fact that, all right, back against the wall. And we see this. We've seen this out of so many hockey series where those teams that are down, now they they play with that bigger sense of urgency. We saw it there in game three with the Vegas Golden Knights. We saw it out of the Hurricanes who lost the first two games in their respective series. I just think here with the with the Winnipeg Jets, the they're, they're hurting uh, with this with the suspension to Mark Shifley, as well as not sure if Stasny is going to play tonight. He hasn't played yet in this series, so a little shorthanded up front with their couple lines at the center position. And then I just think right now Montreal, Carey Price has well as he's played, and just the you see this team on a roll, one five straight, being down three to one against Toronto, and you come back and win it. You win it on on visiting ice on Game Seven. Like this is a team with plenty of momentum, and I think it all starts from the backside at the goaltender position with Carey Price. Make take mine with the Canadians. I'll just wait and see if I get a better price. Yeah, Shifley and as you mentioned earlier, Paul Stastny second line center. You're missing two of your top three centers already and that puts the Jets in a real bind trying to score. They have one even strength goal through two games in this series. I like the Canadians quite a bit today. Um, minus 125 where it is at the moment, but with the movement toward the Jets, I will certainly wait and see if that price gets better before the 6.08 Eastern start. When we come back, is your NFL team going worse to first this year? James and I will rank them. Baseball season is in full swing. It's the perfect time to work on cashing tickets every day. Our VEASAN experts give you all the tools to make the most of every baseball bet, including live odds and analysis for every game on VEASAN.com slash MLB and our daily members-only best bet emails. Now's the time. Start your free trial and take advantage of all the betting opportunities this baseball season at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Thanks for spending part of your Saturday afternoon with us from Las Vegas. Adam Candy at the South Point from Denver, Colorado. James Salinas. Uh, James, quick update on the NBA before we get to our NFL talk here. Interesting to see Doc Rivers finally throwing some double teams and traps at Trey Young as Atlanta is up 79-64 with 7.54 to go in the third period. And he's starting to settle for shots from deep. The last shot, the last possession prior to this one here, he was shooting just from beyond that. The stars out there on the 76er logo at half court. And I think that's where the adjustment's going to have to come from for Atlanta is, look, we're not going to be able to continue to shoot as well as we have. We obviously, we poked the bear. We woke up the Sixers. They were clearly not ready to play this first quarter uh, against the Hawks. And, you know, we actually saw that in the first game against the Wizards when they played Sunday, in a sense, early Sunday afternoon, Philadelphia time, uh, where they kind of slept, walked through that first half against the Wizards and then woke up in the second half. They didn't cover that number. I think it was sitting around eight or nine. They didn't have covering the number, but they did wake up. We're kind of starting to see that right now out of Philadelphia. Yeah, it's nine and a half now. 
Give me another five minutes of watching this, and I might be able to talk myself into that kind of number. Then again, it might not be there uh, in five more minutes, depending on how this game shapes up as Ben Simmons misses another pair of free throws. Goodness gracious, this is becoming a real issue here for Ben Simmons, who's well under 50% for the playoffs. James, in the National Football League, we know that it is entirely possible for any team to go from worst to first. In fact, ever since the balance schedule became a thing in the league back in 1984, there have been 226 teams that have played last place schedules. 164 of them have improved their record from the previous season. In fact, 31 of those teams have gone worst to first in winning a division title. Another 18 have won wild card berths. And so let's take a look at the teams that finished in last place in 2020 and see if there's anyone in particular who we like as maybe to win the division, maybe to win the Super Bowl. Now, if you're watching on VEASAN.com and you're seeing the 49ers in there, we, of course, know why the 49ers were a last place team. Major injuries. They almost don't count here at 2-1 to one to win the NFC West, 12-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. Uh, James, who else among these teams stands out to you as a potential value for a team that has a shot to go worst to first in 2021? Thinking about the numbers here, I think all of these need to be higher for me for starters if I was going to get involved with any of these. You think about the Broncos sitting at plus 450 in the AFC West, and, and we know the Chiefs are the top dog in that division. But you're just one injury away from Mahomes, and we've seen Mahomes go down in the past with leg injuries, foot injuries, had one last year, had offseason surgery as well. So with the Broncos, the offseason uh, and the offseason, what they've done on the defensive side and really shored up the the, the playmaking and the depth at the cornerback position that's what really hurt that defense last year as well as Von Miller being hurt early and being gone for the season for the Broncos from a pass rush standpoint I like what we're going to see out of the Broncos consistently on the defensive end game in and game out that defense and Vic Fangio the way that he coaches he's got the secondary that he wants now and I think that is really going to allow I'm not really sure what we're going to see out of Von Miller coming back it's his, it's his con it's his last year in his contract may not this might be his last year in Denver and he's coming off his injury as well not really sure what we'll see out of Von Miller but the secondary and their their run defense it will keep Denver in each and every game to me the biggest question is is it is it to me it's Teddy Bridgewater that will be the quarterback of this team start 2021 is he the guy that's going to be able to put Denver over the hump to be able to win that division and and supplant the Kansas City Chiefs I think to me the only way I can see that is if if Patrick Mahomes does get hurt which I'm not hoping for that whatsoever but outside of that I think looking at these other numbers here uh, with the Broncos kind of correlated with maybe the Lions. If Aaron Rodgers does make his way here to Denver, then that number will be gone. But uh, I don't, I can't see Aaron Rodgers getting here. But let's say Aaron Rodgers does leave uh, Green Bay, whether it's Denver or somewhere else. Let's say he comes to Green Bay. Well, then what? Who? Who in the a NFC North do we look at to say, well? The Green Bay Packers, you probably have a revolt with that team uh, internally within that locker room if Aaron Rodgers is allowed to be moved. And then with the Bears and a young quarterback coming in to take the reins there with Justin Fields, I don't want anything to do with Minnesota. That defense was pretty porous last year, and Kirk Cousins is not one I want to attempt at. Looking at the Lions, it's all correlated based on what happens with Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay. But sitting at 25-1, to 1, that's the long shot here, and that's probably the only way I could go. 
So the teams are the Niners, the Eagles, Broncos, Falcons, Jaguars, Jets, Bengals, and Lions. Uh, There are significant roadblocks in front of a number of these teams, right? You think the Jaguars and Jets are going to be better, sure, but those numbers aren't long enough for me. Jaguars at 12-1. to Look, there are a lot of holes on that team, so Trevor Lawrence alone isn't fixing anything. The Jets have probably three clearly better teams than them in that division. If I'm going to make you a case for a team that has to hope for a quarterback injury or some other thing, you talk about the Broncos at four and a half to one and thinking about Patrick Mahomes, I'll go back to the Falcons and say that at nine to one, if I'm going to look for a quarterback injury to potentially give me more of an opportunity than I had before, then I would say Tom Brady is, I don't know, 50, 60. How many years old is he now? But, you know, Tom Brady at that age certainly could be someone prone to an injury and could be someone that the Buccaneers decide not to push through an injury, considering the fact that he is up there in age and really they know from last year, all we have to do is get in as a wild card and we're live to win this whole thing. So, I would like better than nine to one on the Falcons, but in terms of teams that I think can make a significant improvement this year, you know, the Falcons are another team that played better in the second half for the last two seasons. The 49ers are the obvious one here. I think they're going to win the division, but of course, two to one, there's not really a lot of value on, on San Francisco at that point. Super Bowl odds at 12 to one also seems like a pretty fair price. And uh, again, if you're looking at futures for the Super Bowl, you're probably much more interested in NFC teams than you are AFC teams because you don't have to worry about going through both Kansas City and potentially that Buffalo team as well. So no one really else that I want to get involved with there on that worst of first board. Updating you from the National Basketball Association, we do have the one game going on live here. Hawks 86, Sixers 64, 7-0 run by Atlanta just from the point where I said maybe I would be interested in getting involved with the Sixers. Uh, nope, I'm not. Uh, Trey Young has 27 points going over his point prop and uh, still 11 for Bogdanovich, but he helped them quite a bit early. On the other side, Tobias Harris still stuck on 15 from halftime. Joel Embiid, oh boy, James, pushing toward that 21. He's got 19 here for the Sixers. Simmons, 11. Curry with 10. Beeson's betting across America rolls on. Fearlessly on your favorite sports with a risk-free first wager up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code VSIN600 and get in the game with the king of sportsbooks. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use promo code VSIN600 to make your first bet risk-free up to $600. New customer offer, paid and free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan dissociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In Tennessee, call or text the red line 800-889-9789. And in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Promotional offer is not available in Nevada. 
Dave Ross and Wes Reynolds are coming up in the green zone for the next few hours. They've got all of your updates from the memorial where Patrick Cantlay has moved out in front. Scotty Scheffler making a move on the leaderboard as well. You are still here with us. Yep. Thanks for sticking with us on Betting Across America. From VEASAN and VEASAN.com, Adam Candy and James Salinas from Las Vegas and Denver. Still a 20-point lead uh, for the Hawks. Make it a 22-point lead for the Hawks. Uh, James, my live 230-and-a-half. I'd like some starters to come out of this game sooner than later here with a 22-point game with three minutes to go here in the third. Let's get you updated on live numbers here. Hawks laying 13-and-a-half. Total up to 240-and-a-half on the live line. Uh, James, some baseball games coming up that I know you and I are interested in on the late card. Uh, this time we're not on the same one, though, uh, even though looking up there at the Diamondbacks and the Brewers, I'm happy to see no score in the top of the third inning, and you're happy to see Corbin Burns dealing for the Brewers. You've got the A's and the Rockies lined up on a 3:10 p.m. Eastern start with James Caprillion, former Yankees farmhand, underwent uh, Tommy John surgery and has come back and been effective for the athletics in Coors Field against Herman Marquez with a total of 11, Rockies minus 115, A's plus 105. I'm betting on Herman Marquez. He's their best pitcher for the Rockies, and he's pitched very well at home throughout his career. I look at the splits. It's one thing where it's, yeah, he'll be better on the road than he is at home, but very competitive at home, and he keeps the Rockies within each game at home. And I think here, looking at this matchup for for the A's interleague game, you're going to have Caprillion have to take the at-bats in his hands a couple times as well. I was looking at a couple different angles, but I did find one of my the the outs prop that I like to pit, go with some of these pitchers, and with Marquez at home at 16 and a half outs, juice to the over at a dollar 30. I think the thing with with Herman is is that he goes deep in the game. And really, I think for the Rockies, they want to stay away from that bullpen for as long as they can. And Herman allows them to do that in his starts. Majority of his starts, if you think about his, I was at the game on Tuesday night, pitched very well, seven innings pitched, so 21 outs there against the Rangers. Yeah, light hitting lineup from that perspective. But two hits, one earned run in that game. He's he doesn't struggle with his command. He pitches very well at Coors Field. So looking at it, the last five starts for him have all gone at least six innings with a couple of seven-inning starts in there. So he's the workhorse for this team. That's where I'm going with this game. Herman Marquez to go over 16-and-a-half outs did pay the juice at $1.30. Has been highly effective of late. His strikeout prop is set at five-and-a-half. Last I saw the over was minus 135, but uh, has been seven or more in four of his last five games. So you'd have to pay a little bit to get on that, but certainly would get the, uh, the good side of the statistics on that one. My game for later is actually one of those little micro markets that I've gotten more involved in this year with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Uh, Yankees are in quite the tailspin here at the moment as they've lost the first two games of the rivalry series to the Boston Red Sox. They're five and a half off the pace of Tampa Bay. 7.08 Eastern start on Sunday Night Baseball. Yankees are minus 149 uh, behind Domingo Herman, uh, Red Sox plus 139. Garrett Richards is on the hill. Total of nine and a half. We have talked plenty on this show about fading Garrett Richards, and I'm going to use the opportunity of Garrett Richards against Rugned Odor. These two know each other from the American League West. Uh, they've had 30 plate appearances. 
Two hits in 27 at-bats for Ruganid Odor, including 11 strikeouts against Garrett Richards. Now, obviously a different pitcher than he was back then. Garrett Richards was much more of a power pitcher before all of the injuries that befell him. But Ruganid Odor... Not to get a hit tonight is plus 140. Look, you've already got a guy batting well below 200. And I think you're getting a little bit of value on this on the idea that, you know, Garrett Richards has obviously not been himself through, uh, well, has not been his old self here through this year. But look at the StatCast data. It's not like it's been an accident with Rugnet Odor against Garrett Richards. Uh, expected batting average of 107, expected slugging percentage of 125, uh, a negative launch angle. He can't get the ball off the ground against Garrett Richards. So Yankees are struggling to hit the ball in the first place. I like Rugnet Odor, plus 140, no hits against Garrett Richards here tonight with the Red Sox taking on the Yankees. James, as we get ready to head out here, let's get, take one more twirl around the NBA and get you ready for the Mavericks and the Clippers and look at some of the props coming up for tonight in this game. I have been heavy into the anti-Kristaps Porzingis on the rebounds with the under for seven and a half, then six and a half, then five and a half. Uh, that one is pretty much bled dry for me, though. Five and a half, it's even money to the under. Not enough value when Porzingis uh, has been flirting with that number. And, James, as you mentioned, uh, you're expecting some tired legs on both sides and potentially more rebounds for both the teams available tonight. Uh, you also have a lean on the Paul George points prop in this game. Yeah, that's where I was looking at here. Just the, the, thinking about his minutes played, and he's not shooting the ball nearly as much as, obviously, Kawhi Leonard. That's the champion on this team, and he played that way in Game 6 and was clearly the best player on the court for both teams in that second half and, and had a sensational half, 29 points in that second half. I suspect with this game, gets it's second half it gets close it's going to be the Kawhi Leonard show and and thinking about the minutes played for Paul George 46 minutes in the last game did not have he just had a taste of the bench in that matchup and, and only took 15 shots he did score 20 points he had a couple threes but ultimately he's going to be out there to play defense and and help do whatever they're going to do ball screen double the ball on Luka Doncic they got to take the ball out of his hands tonight so I think a lot more energy expended out of Paul George tonight not only did he play 46 minutes in that last game, it's the fourth time in this series that he played 40-plus minutes. And the other two games were 35 and 39 minutes. So some extended time out there for Paul George. His point total right now is sitting at 25-and-a-half. It's juiced slightly to the under at $1.20. That's where I'm looking here. I, I, I just don't think Paul George will have enough touches because I don't think he's going to have the legs to be able to score that many points. I think we're going to see more scoring, obviously, in the first half than the second half. Things get tighter, but that's where I'm going with the player props. Paul George under 25 and a half points tonight. If you believe in that idea of guys getting tired and what you saw out of Luka Doncic back in game six, his points, rebounds, assists is at 50. That is a healthy, healthy number that's going to require Luka to probably get near a triple-double. Like you're looking at 30-10-10, or uh, obviously you can get more on the point side and shift that your way. But uh, if you think that this game is going to be played at a slower pace, and most of the market does think that because we've seen this tick down 
from 215 all the way to 210 and a half on the total, then you might be inclined to look at the under on Luca there as amazing as he's been throughout this series uh, might be a situation where he might be the most tired of everyone. Actually, we're down to 210 in some spots now with the Clippers laying six. There are still six and a halfs out there. If you're someone looking to get involved with the Mavericks, that move has been today toward the Dallas Mavericks. Hockey coming up later as well. Golden Knights and the Avalanche, Montreal and the Jets. Both James and I like the Montreal Canadiens. Minus 125, the best price on the board right now for the Canadiens. They have been in control of this series throughout, in large part, thanks to Carey Price, who's been outstanding in net. Winnipeg has one even-strength goal in the series. Avalanche and the Golden Knights coming up here later tonight. James, um, how long do you think this series goes. I know that you were earlier invested in a longer series. I sure hope it goes six or seven games, and that way it's in favor of the Avalanche because I have some long prices for the Avs to win in six at 450 and the Avs to win in seven at 650. Tonight's the obviously the pivotal night for this for for this series here, even though they must win game for the Knights to win in game three, which they pulled it out late and coming from behind with just a handful of minutes in that third period. This is where I think tonight, yeah, I think if if the I I, I kind of I'm still leaning towards the Knights. I think they've been the better team the last two games. Games and especially the the last five periods, even though the score didn't really reflect that, losing the way lo- losing a tight game in game two and trailing the way that they did in game three. But here I, I'm leaning towards the Knights to win the Vegas to win this game tonight at home, even this series up. I'm not going to play this one because I'm vested in in this series for six and seven games for the Abs, so I'm staying tight from there. But here uh, another, I, I just want to see how the Abs young team responds to this game on the road going to be a great environment there in las vegas for this game four but how does this young abs team respond in particular to not only how they played in game three but really uh, we're pretty fortunate in my mind to win that game too late breaking news out of my text inbox uh there's a reasonable chance i might end up at that game tonight which uh that is breaking news uh right here that matters not to you at all i have the golden knights plus two and a half games first took it uh at a fairly juiced price then got it a plus money after game two this team is too good to not win another game at some point in this series so pulling for the Knights for the financial perspective as well. Thanks for spending time with us here on Betting Across America. Thanks to Jonathan Bontobel and James Salinas, of course, as well as J.J. Leonard behind the glass, keeping us on the rails. Dave Ross, Wes Reynolds coming up in the green zone from Circa Resort and Casino in downtown Las Vegas here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. 